Hello and welcome to another episode of Who's in Your Village podcast. I'm Dr. Will Soriano with Apex Chiropractic in Neptune Beach. We're a structural chiropractic office that focuses on correcting neurostructural shifts of the spine that are often the cause of secondary conditions that bring people to the chiropractor. Today we're being joined by Dr. Janet Parnell of MotionRx in Jacksonville. And she's going to talk to us specifically about being a physical therapist for pelvic issues and what it takes to become a pelvic floor physical therapist and the types of cases and people she works with. Dr. Jana, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Your clinic is beautiful. Thank you. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Yeah, I was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. Every time I tell someone that, they say, oh my gosh, I've never met anyone from here. But it's weird for me to hear that because I know <laughs> a ton of people from here. Um, I went to Stanton, um, which is a high school local to Jacksonville. Okay. And then for my undergrad, I went to the University of Central Florida, majored in health sciences, and then came back to Jacksonville for my doctorate at UNF um, for physical therapy school. And then after physical therapy school, I did a residency for a year with Brooks Rehab to become a board certified specialist in women's health or pelvic floor physical therapy. Okay. Um, but how did you even get to that in the first place? Like what made you even want to be in healthcare and how did you know that it was physical therapy and, and furthermore like pelvic floor physical therapy? My mom is a nurse, so I feel like Probably from a young age, I knew I wanted to do something. In healthcare, I'm a very social person, so I love talking to people. I felt like I always liked helping people. Um, when I was in high school, my brother tore his ACL and his meniscus in a football injury, and so he drove us to school every day, and I had to ride with him to physical therapy after school every day because he oh, okay. had the only right. car. So I had to sit with him in his physical therapy appointments, and I um, was like, this is so cool. I really want to do this. So in high school, I decided that I wanted to be a physical therapist, and it had, a few years before that, um, transitioned to a doctorate program. It used to be right. a master's degree, and then obviously before that, it was a bachelor's. So in high school, I knew that I was going to be going to school for a long time after um, graduating from high school. But I decided that that's how I wanted to become a physical therapist. And you were in high school when this happened with your brother? Yes. Okay. I was a junior in high school, okay. and he was a senior. Yeah. So right right then, you already knew, I'm going to do all my biology stuff and, and go on from there. Yeah, that's pretty much how I've been my whole life. Like, if I pick something, I don't typically waver. That can be a good and a bad thing. Um, and so I did undergrad at UCF and got the major that I needed and then applied and got into UNF in Jacksonville, which was great because I knew I wanted to come back here. And it's a smaller program. Uh, there's only 30 people in our in my class. And some of the programs, there's like 100. So right. it was a little bit more individualized. <laughs> yeah. And then our first year in physical therapy school, we had to dissect the cadaver. And once we got to the abdominal pelvic region, they brought in a pelvic floor physical therapist and she was talking to us about what she did prior to that I, I didn't even know that that was a thing in physical right. therapy and I was already <laughs> in physical therapy school right so I looked at my best friend and lab partner and I looked at him and I was like I want to do that and he was like you're crazy <laughs> okay um but I decided yeah first year of PT school that I wanted to specialize in pelvic floor 
but we don't get a lot of training in that in physical therapy um, school. We learn more about, uh, you know, musculoskeletal issues like low back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, or neurological dysfunctions. Pelvic floor is such a niche specialty. I think we got like two lectures in the entire three years of my doctorate program. So I knew that I would have to get more training after PT school if I wanted to be good at it. And so that's what made me decide to do a residency. So while you were in PT school, um, was it like that with a lot of other maybe quote-unquote subspecialties where you get maybe like an introductory class to it Mm -hmm. just to kind of show you, hey, this is something else that's out there. But if you want to get further training, you're going to go to like seminars outside of school Mm -hmm. and pay more your money. own money your own time yeah yeah so it, it's it's pretty much like chiropractic school it's the same thing like you get you know some pediatric classes you get mm-hmm. some pregnancy classes you get some um classes where they're only focusing on up the upper cervical spine yeah. and then if you decide oh that's what i want to do then the same thing you, you have to do, it on do your some own additional accord. training mm-hmm. get some additional certifications um but you know it's worth it, is, it. it is what it is and it is worth it i think it's worth it um i think it's especially in the PT world, and I'm sure you feel the same way about the chiropractic world, it's too hard to be good at everything. Right. Um, and, I mean, they say it's either you're a specialist is has information of a mile thick and an inch wide, or you can either have as much information as a mile wide but only like an inch thick. So right. I would rather be really good in one field. I think that you're more marketable. When you're really good in one field, you're a better clinician. When you're really good in one field, it, there's just so much to know. And I think if you're trying to be the person who treats Parkinson's and low back pain and some pediatrics, it's just right, it's a lot. really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So what before you went to PT school, did you already have a pretty good uh, understanding of what it was going to be like? Or did you show up there and was it – completely different than what you envisioned going in I knew it was going to be hard um I didn't I didn't realize how much I needed like the hands-on learning I learned so much better when I can apply it in the moment if I'm just reading a textbook and trying to memorize something that doesn't land with me and so I feel like I didn't really get good and like really learn stuff until we got to the clinical portion of physical therapy school when I got to get my hands on patients and really apply everything that I had memorized and to an actual person right yeah okay and uh, what about the actual classes you know for instance like in chiropractic school I think the majority of the classes really don't have anything to do with chiropractic Mm. they're you know, we get a lot of, like, diagnosis stuff. Um, I mean, not that that's not important, but it's not really what you're going to be doing mm-hmm. once you're out in practice for the majority. Yeah, I feel that. Do you get a lot of that in, in PT school as well? That was, like, one of my main feedback points when I graduated. Um, we have to take differential diagnosis. We have to take cardiopulm. We have to take pharmacology. Right. A lot of classes right. that, honestly, people in med school take. Right, right. And I don't really – think that people understand that you and I have had those classes I mean no no shame to physicians 
and MDs and DOs, like they're very knowledgeable, but we had to learn a lot of that right. too. Um, and that's what gives us autonomy. But um, one of the things that I gave them feedback on was I would have loved more of a therapeutic exercise class. Like if someone is coming to me for low back pain, this is how I would walk them through an exercise progression. Not just this is what low back pain is and this is what causes it. Okay, great. But how do I change that (laughs) and make them better as a PT? And that's what they were expecting us to learn on our clinicals. And we did. But my first two clinicals were hard because I I didn't have like the, okay, what do I do when this person is in 10 out of 10 back pain? What kind of exercise can I give them? I didn't kind of, I didn't have that information. Some of my classmates did because they were um, techs, like at physical therapy clinics, they were like therapy aides or techs. But I didn't do that before physical therapy school. And so that was a big learning curve. And that was some of the feedback that I had given my program is there needs to be like a therapeutic exercise class. Like more PT in PT school. Yeah. More (laughs) like, okay, great. I know the disease. I know the structural issue. But how do I fix it? (laughs) Yeah, that's important. So, okay, so now you, you knew that you wanted to have this focus on the pelvic floor. Um, Yeah. Where did you do this additional training? We're really, I'm really lucky. Brooks Rehab in town, they have residency programs for almost anything you can think of in physical therapy, pediatrics, geriatrics, women's health. I think they've added an oncology program, orthopedics, sports, neurology. They have an OT residency if you're an occupational therapist. Um, there's only like maybe seven or eight residencies in the entire country, and we just happen to have one in Jacksonville. Um, so I didn't. Like, that's pretty rare. Um, My last internship in physical therapy school was with a women's health physical therapist who was actually in her residency program at Brooks Rehab at the time. So as a resident, she was required to take a student, and I was her student. And it was a perfect transition. Um, So I applied to that program, and I had already met the residency coordinator when I was a student. And so I interviewed for that spot, and then they offered me that spot. It was I was one of three residents that year, and it was a job. I was I was working as a physical therapist, but I was all for forty hours a week. But then, on Fridays and sometimes Saturdays and Sundays, <laughs> I was in continuing education courses. I was in classes with my residency coordinator. I was giving lectures to people. I was, you know. Um, observing surgeries uh, down at the hospital down uf health i was meeting with primary it was a very robust experience it was probably the hardest thing i've ever done in my life because i was working full-time and And all that that. but as you know like to take all those classes on my own and have to pay for that myself it would have taken years and a lot of money they were paying me as a clinician and paying for all my classes plus you're actually seeing it live like you're not it's not someone acting it out with you yeah. or you you know it's not any of that stuff you you actually have the real patient there yeah and you're doing stuff with the actual patient you're or you're seeing what they're doing with the actual patient yeah and my residency coordinator is coming in with my patient and giving me feedback in real time like I would have done this differently and so you have to have a certain amount of hours in the pelvic floor women's health world to sit for the board specialty exam and I got those hours within that year and and sometimes that takes people multiple years and so that is what allowed me to sit for the WCS or the women's clinical specialist exam 
uh, the following year I took that exam um, and passed that. And, and when I, was that? What would you say? When was that? That was – I passed in right – I took the test right before the pandemic hit. <laughs> I think like February of 2020, and then I found out I passed in June of 2020. Um, and at the time, I was only – I think there's more now, but I was only one of 35 in the state of Florida. Nice. So, again, like we were ta- saying earlier, finding your niche and, like, getting really good at it and becoming a specialist in it, I think, makes you more marketable as a clinician, but just makes you a better specialist and clinician for someone who needs you. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, so now you have this certification. Um, what did you do once you were, were were done there? Like, did you just go out on your own or, mm-hmm. did, you know, what? What what was the was there a plan? <laughs> I stayed with Brooks for a little bit. Um, I ended up taking on like a leadership role with them as the women's health outpatient program coordinator, and then I left Brooks to go to Baptist, and I started Baptist MD Anderson's pelvic floor program. Um, a lot of patients that have had gynecological cancers mm-hmm. or prostate cancers or colorectal cancers need pelvic floor physical therapy because of the chemo radiation and the surgeries that they've undergone it can cause a lot of tissue damage um, or pelvic floor weakness because they're usually having that radiation or that surgery in the pelvic region and so after they've survived cancer they'll notice okay i'm excited that i survived cancer but i'm incontinent or i'm having a lot of pain with intimacy or i wasn't expecting these side effects and so that's when the oncologist or the nurse practitioners or the PAs would refer patients to me in their survivorship period to help them kind of recover with some pelvic floor function. So I started that program there and then I um, kind of like on the side started my own private practice going into people's homes to treat them from like a postpartum perspective because a lot of women that I had seen in the past at Brooks were saying, I want pelvic floor PT, but I just had a baby. It's really hard to come here twice a week and have to get childcare. So I kind of did like a concierge, go to their house and treat them in their house. Um, And I was recognizing that if I ever wanted that to go full time, that I would probably have to also do a brick and mortar because Jacksonville is so massive. Too big. Yeah, Yeah. And to be able to see as many patients as I needed to see um, to make it financially make sense, I was going to have to work five or six days a week. (laughs) And then it's like, well, what's the point of having my own thing? So about the time that I was recognizing that I needed my own brick and mortar, my friend Peter, who owns MotionRx, said, you know what, I want to bring on pelvic floor PT. He didn't have pelvic floor PT at the time. He was treating more orthopedics. I'd love to um, hire you full time. And so I stepped away from Baptist, and I kind of stepped away from my own concierge practice and started the pelvic floor program at MotionRx. Okay. So the the program, you said, was a women's health specialty. Mm-hmm. But you also take care of men uh, with pelvic floor issues. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about I think there, that's like a misconception yes, that absolutely. people think that a pelvic floor specialist only sees women. sees women. And some do. Some women that are some women that are pelvic floor specialists are only comfortable seeing women. There are some men that can be, you know, that can treat pelvic floor dysfunction, and they primarily, I think, have marketed themselves to see men because sometimes men are more comfortable seeing men. Um, my residency 
I was I was in a pelvic floor specialty residency or a women's health residency and honestly we've talked about this nationally changing the name because you're right I mean I saw pediatrics I saw women and I saw men and so I think we need to kind of change the residency to pelvic health residency so it because everyone has a pelvic floor (laughs) whether you're a man woman or a child we did um, – the American Physical Therapy Association did change the section. It used to be called the Section on Women's Health, and now it's um, – I think it's the Pelvic Health Specialty now, okay. just to be a little bit more inclusive. And so, yeah, in my residency, I got really good at treating women with pelvic floor dysfunction, but also men and children because men and children have pe- pelvic floors as well and can have pelvic floor dysfunction. And so what what types of issues would you see in – a pediatric population or the male population? Yeah, so typically with pediatrics, um, constipation is super common. That can sometimes be behavioral. That can sometimes be because of an emotional change. One of my co-residents saw two brothers that struggled with constipation, and they both developed it at the same time. With a little bit of good digging, she found out that about the time that they started dealing with their constipation is when they found out their parents were getting a divorce. So um, it becomes a little complicated with pediatrics. You have to make sure that you're doing a really good job of teasing out some of those like psychosocial issues and making sure that you refer to a mental health counselor or a therapist as needed. A lot of constipation, um, bedwetting is super common in pediatrics. Uh, Typically that's because there's underlying constipation issues. Um, There could be some like things that children are born with that can cause some bowel or bladder issues. And if there's a genetic or a congenital component, I can only do so much with strengthening their pelvic floor. Um, But just making sure that they have a really good pediatrician that they're seeing to make sure that they're managing whatever they were born with from a medical management standpoint, but then also making sure that Maybe they're seeing a dietitian. Maybe they're seeing a chiropractor. Maybe they're seeing me um, to do what we can from a musculoskeletal component. And then from men, I saw a lot of men post-prostatectomy from prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. I would say we have research that shows that most w- men will develop urinary incontinence. In my anecdotal opinion, I think 100% of men post-prostatectomy will have some sort of urinary incontinence because of what they have to do to get the prostate out and it's just affecting the pelvic floor muscles and then also you're you're losing that prostate which is occupying space in the pelvic region and so if they're taking that away that's going to create some laxity in the pelvic region which can lead to incontinence a lot of things that i've seen men for as well as um, pelvic pain particularly if there's some sort of ptsd um, or psychosocial involvement men and women tend to hold stress in the pelvic region and so if something traumatic happened all of a sudden they might start having pelvic pain for no good reason i saw a guy who had some ptsd from afghanistan and his pelvic pain started out in afghanistan and they ruled out any kind of like infection um and they basically said i think it's your pelvic floor and thank god he had a good physician that sent him to pelvic floor pt so that's another thing that i see men for right so Going back to when you were talking about pediatrics, mm-hmm. um, it seemed like you were talking about older than toddler age kids, Ta- or no? Do you see even infants? Um, I don't. I don't see infants. I, 
I there's not a lot I can do with an infant because they have to be able to follow commands. Right. If there's something like pelvic floor going on with an infant, I would probably honestly rely on a pediatric physical therapist because they're the expert in like getting a baby to do what they want them to do. I have no skill in like <laughs> teaching an infant how to do something i don't know even i wouldn't even know where to start but i would say if they can follow commands so at least toddlers mm -hmm. yes i've definitely seen a lot of toddlers yeah awesome uh, and then um you know going back to talking about seeing men i mean what about just anytime anyone has any type of abdominal surgery mm -hmm. or or anything like that that's a really great question dr wolf I've seen a lot of men for hernia repairs, post hernia repairs, or if they're trying to avoid surgery. Typically, if they have an abdominal hernia, it's because they're not managing their intra-abdominal pressure well. Maybe they like to exercise and um, lift weights, but they don't know how to engage their core appropriately. They like to valsalva or hold their breath, and that can put a lot of tension on the abdominal wall and can potentially lead to a hernia. In women, I see a lot of patients postpartum that are experiencing diastasis which is that abdominal muscle mm -hmm. separation that we have some research now that shows that a hundred or hundred percent of women will develop at some point during their pregnancy and so I'm getting them to learn how to engage their core again postpartum and hopefully reduce their severity of their diastasis okay yeah and so you know when you're talking about uh, not not using things properly is a lot of it really just breathing, like what they're doing when they're breathing? <laughs> I would say breathing correctly. Okay. Yeah, most people don't know how, unless, I, I feel like I love treating musicians because they know how to diaphragmatically breathe, but most people don't know how to breathe correctly. I'll, I'll have them, I'll say, you know, I want you to breathe down into your rib cage. And I would say 90% of people are chest breathers they walk around and they breathe up into their chest and they don't even know how to take that air down into their rib cage or their belly. And so I'll spend two or three sessions getting them to learn how to breathe correctly. And then once they can breathe correctly, okay, now let's take this and apply it to what you should be doing when you exercise and how you should be breathing when you exercise. Also earlier, you were, when you were talking about uh, the hernias, you were talking about uh, seeing people for post hernia repair or even to avoid hernia. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I obviously, it depends on the severity of yeah. the case when they present, but how, what, what percentage of people who have hernias would you say can be corrected with proper PT and many of these people may be having, like, unnecessary surgery? Yeah, so again, like you said, it depends on the severity. If their intestinal wall is kind of poking through that hernia and, and getting pinched off, that can be pretty problematic because – it can lose blood supply, but if the hernia can be reduced and their provider that's managing their care is saying you don't need surgery now or you don't need surgery yet, that's a great person for me to see because I can make sure that they don't make their hernia worse or make it so that, okay, a year from now, now you have to have surgery because you didn't learn how to properly engage your core or diaphragmatically breathe, and now you've taken this little hernia and now it's become a lot bigger. So... Um, I don't know if I have a percentage on that, but I would say if if someone has been diagnosed with a hernia and 
they're being told they don't have to have surgery yet, then don't just think that it's going to go away. Like definitely get in with a pelvic floor physical therapist so that you don't make it worse, especially if you want to continue doing the activities that you love. Okay. No. So aside from uh, things like having surgery or, you know, giving birth, uh, what are some other causes of pelvic floor problems? Yeah. Outside of surgery and giving birth, I would say trauma. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people have experienced sexual abuse or sexual trauma. And so that can lead to someone having kind of a psychosocial reaction anytime they're maybe trying to engage in intimacy. And intimacy can be painful. And maybe they don't understand why because maybe this assault or trauma happened 20 years ago and they're not putting it together that that might still be affecting them now. Um, I've seen a lot of people for that and I'm helping them learn how to control and relax their pelvic floor muscles. I'm also referring them to a therapist if they've never really dealt with that or maybe they saw a therapist years ago but might need to go back. Um, I'm seeing patients that maybe they haven't had the baby yet but maybe they're currently pregnant and they're having some SI joint pain or maybe they're starting to notice their abdominal muscles separating or maybe they're already having incontinence while they're pregnant. I would say even though the hip and the low back is not the pelvic floor, sometimes the pelvic floor is the culprit and so I see a lot of patients that have hip and low back pain whether they've had a pregnancy or not, men, women, and if they're not getting better with traditional orthopedic physical therapy, a good sign is, okay, well, let's come see pelvic floor PT and see if there's not something going on pelvic floor because we know how important is the pelvic floor is to supporting the low back and the hips. So now let's say uh, someone doesn't have any issues, right? Like they're not having any pain or perceived uh, loss of function. Mm-hmm. Um Again, everyone's different, but what are some things that you notice that most people are not doing that if they were doing would help them tremendously to uh, even to avoid having problems to begin with? Love that question. Uh, I have a couple things. I think everyone should be using a squatty potty when they go to the bathroom and they have a bowel movement. If you don't know what a squatty potty is, Google it. We were not designed as humans to sit on a toilet to evacuate things from our body. If you think back to when we were like hunters and gatherers, women would squat to have babies, would squat to poop, men would squat to poop. And so when you're sitting on a toilet, you're less out of that squat position. We want your knees above your hips when you're trying to have a bowel movement. And the only way that you can do that is to get your feet elevated on a stool or a squatty potty. Um, If you start straining with having bowel movements it's going to cause you know hemorrhoids discomfort it can lead to prolapse and so i would say if you're trying to avoid having issues and you don't have any issues now even if you don't feel constipated get a squatty potty Um, and then i would just say just take care of your bladder stay hydrated uh, stay away from the four c's as much as you can you don't have to eliminate them completely but the four c's are bladder irritants and they're classified as citrus carbonation caffeine and cocktails so if you're somebody that has a cup of coffee in the morning 
and then has a carbonated water and then has a glass of wine at dinner and you've had maybe one glass of water all day, just know that your bladder is probably not very happy um, and that can lead to some issues later in life. Nothing, you know, damaging long term, nothing that can't be reversed, but just make sure that if you're having bladder irritants that you're also drinking plenty of water throughout the day. Staying hydrated, if you stay hydrated, that will also help in the bowel movement department as well. So what about uh, like holding holding it? Like Your bladder? You, when you, yeah, when you have to urine, like I'm, I'm just holding it and holding it and holding it. Yeah, so this applies to like my teachers and my nurses or my pharmacists because I don't get to go to the bathroom all day. <laughs> I, I kind of want to like meet with like the board of teachers and just <laughs> – advocate for them because it's so bad that they have to hold their bladder for five or six hours a day and they don't have anyone to watch their classroom so what happens if we hold it for too long so past that four hour mark especially for staying hydrated um your bladder your brain will stop sending your bladder that urgency because you're just ignoring it and so your bladder your brain will kind of give up and say fine if you're not going to listen to me i'm, I'm not going to give you as much of a warning and i can't tell you how many people i've seen after they've maybe they've retired from nursing or maybe they've been a teacher for 20 years and they're like, well, now I don't have a warning. I just, all of a sudden I have to pee and I need to get there in 30 seconds because what happens is our brain is very smart and if you don't listen to those early warning signs of urgency, your brain will kind of adapt and say, fine, I'm not going to give her as many early warning signs. I'll just give her one big warning, 30 seconds, <laughs> him or her, right. 30 seconds before she needs to go. So we say anywhere from two to four hours is a great window. If you don't have the urge to pee after four hours, you're probably not drinking enough. Probably need to be drinking more fluids. If you're peeing more often than every two hours outside of being, you know, in your third trimester of pregnancy, um, you're probably having some urgency issues that can be easily retrained with a pelvic floor physical therapist. And also going back to that original tip about the squatty potty, you know, I know we want the knees above, but can you can you tell people anatomically why yeah. why we need that posture? You have there's an anal rectal angle, so your puborectalis muscle, which is one of your pelvic floor muscles. If you've ever done a Kegel, that's one of the muscles that you're contracting. It attaches from your pubic bone and it loops around your rectum. That muscle should be shut off and relaxed when you're trying to poop because when that muscle is contracted, it is closing off your rectum. And thank God we have that muscle because otherwise we'd all be going on ourselves all day long. But when it's time to actually have a good bowel movement and evacuate, you want that muscle to relax. And it's not able to fully relax unless your knees are above your hips. Um, you r remind me of another uh postural thing that we do that doesn't really make sense so you know the bathroom is one of them uh what about like recumbent birth like mm -hmm. mom's birthing on their back good question <coughs> i feel like you know the answer to this already but for i'm guessing he's, he's asking for you guys so again if you just think about like before modern medicine when women were having babies they're out in a field they have a baby they're, if they're, you know, fancy and they lived in the castle, they had a group of mostly women around them holding them up and they would have a baby. If, if you just think about how gravity works, if I'm upright, it's going to be easier for my body to expel whatever is inside of me, including the baby. 
And so, uh, no offense, Dr. Well, but once we got a bunch of men involved, uh, they had women start laying flat on their back, which makes no sense because gravity is not able to do its job. You're not able to move as much, which helps move that baby down the birth canal. And also, um, from a tailbone or a coccyx perspective, if you're laying flat on your back on a hospital table, it doesn't allow your tailbone to extend and get out of the way as the baby is coming out of the birth canal. That tailbone gets kind of pushed into the table. It can cause some tailbone pain after delivery. Um, so, so many things that just doesn't they don't make sense from laying in that dorsal lithotomy or flat on your back position with pregnancy. And so I would say if you want an epidural, a great position that you can lay in is sideline. It allows your coccyx to extend. You, um, it's it's just less it's just less friction on the on the tailbone. It allows your hips to be a little bit more open. Um, you know, some people say you can get on your hands and knees when you've had an epidural. If you don't have an epidural, getting on your hands and knees, squatting, using a um, birth bar to kind of hang on to. Um, are really great positions to be in because it allows that birth canal to be nice and open and it allows gravity to do its thing. If you don't get an epidural, you're able to walk around until, you know, it's time for you to have the baby, which is going to allow things to keep moving. So all things I know you know. Um, And I, I think that's where chiropractic care comes into play a lot, especially when someone is having trying to have a, a natural unmedicated delivery is you've got to keep that birth canal and that pelvis in a really good position and so um, that's why I love to refer a lot of my patients to chiropractic care because even just a couple millimeters of movement in the pelvis can just make things feel super uncomfortable and make women fearful of having babies or being able to push and things like that so that's why I like to refer to chiropractors awesome um I wanted to ask you also, you know, you, you talked about uh, seeing uh, women uh, in late pregnancy if they're having issues or postpartum, but ideally, I mean, is should, should a pelvic floor physical therapist just be like part of the whole pregnancy, like even before there's any pain, even mm-hmm. before there's a, a visible baby bump? Yeah. So um, in France... They are a part of it automatically after they have a baby. Um, you automatically get sent to pelvic floor physical therapy, I think, for six weeks, standard practice of care. But you're right. I think if you are planning on having a baby, you should make a pelvic floor physical therapist a part of your um, medical team because we know – I mean, if you think about just what's happening to your body when you, you carry a baby inside of it for almost 10 months, like there will be some sort of – musculoskeletal changes (laughs) Um, whether you have diastasis whether you have pelvic floor dysfunction whether you have low back pain posturally what's changing because of the baby growing I think don't wait until you're nine months pregnant and you're in pain or don't wait until you're postpartum and you've had vaginal tearing or incontinence if you can get in with a pelvic floor physical therapist early on in your pregnancy that person can hopefully help you eliminate any of those side effects, the incontinence, the vaginal tearing. If you have diastasis, they can minimize it so that you, you're you not having to play catch-up after you've had the baby. Okay. Now, so yeah, I in an ideal world, it would just be part of all 
pregnancy care. Yeah. But would you say that it's like an almost must-have if someone's trying to have uh, a vaginal birth after cesarean? Like if they're like, I had a C-section the first time. This time I'm going for that VBAC. Yeah. I mean, should that be like not even attempted without a pelvic floor PT? Yes, I think you're, I think, yes, you're right. I don't think it should be attempted unless you've gone to a pelvic floor PT because that pelvic floor physical therapist is going to teach you how to breathe during pregnancy. They're going to teach you how to relax your pelvic floor muscles and lengthen those pelvic floor muscles, which is going to allow for you to have that baby with minimal vaginal tearing. You're going to learn so much about your body and, and what it feels like to contract and relax your pelvic floor. You'll be more in tune with your body, which you have to be to be able to have that VBAC. Um, a lot of my patients were are telling me, like with their first baby, I was told by the RN to push, and I thought I was pushing, but I couldn't tell if I was pushing. I couldn't feel anything because I had an epidural. They told me to hold my breath, and that didn't feel right. And so just getting all that cleared up and getting educated on that and getting more in tune with your body before trying to have that VBAC can make that VBAC a lot more successful. Awesome. All right, so if people want to learn more either about you or about MotionRx, like what are the best avenues for them to do that? Is there like a website or social media or or blog or anything like that? Yeah, so um, social media on Instagram. You can find our pelvic floor-specific Instagram page. It's motion.rxpelvicfloor. We also have our orthopedic Instagram page, motion.rx. Our website, MotionRx Physical Therapy, I think. <laughs> um, if you just Google MotionRx Physical Therapy in Jacksonville, will come up. And um, that's probably the best way to get in touch with us. If you follow our social media page, you can see some of the like highlight reels of patients that I've seen during their pregnancy, after their pregnancy, and kind of some success stories. Okay. And uh, – where are you guys physically located? I know I said you guys are in Jacksonville, but can, can you just tell people you know, where y- you guys are? We're located off of Bay Meadows Way in one of those like business office complexes. It's um, You get off 95 on Bay Meadows, and you turn onto Bay Meadows Way. We're right down there on the right-hand side. And we just moved into our new space um, back in February. It's I think double the size of our other clinic, which was right across the hallway, so we didn't have to go very far. And we specialize in treating athletes, anyone who's looking to become more active in their life. We have a lot of weights, rigs, barbells in our clinic. We don't look like a regular physical therapy clinic that has you laying on a table doing, you know, yellow TheraBand (laughs) clamshells for six weeks. We're going to get you off the table, get you lifting actual weight, even if you've never lifted weights in your life. We know that that's the best way to get you stronger and out of pain. All right. So, you know, we learned that you're from here and like where you went to school and, you know, what, what made you decide to be become a public floor specialist and then really a lot about what you do and who are the people that you see and stuff like that. Um, what do you do when you're not working? I like to work out. I like to go to the beach and look for shark's teeth. I just did that last night with my fiance. My fiance just got back from a six-month deployment. He's a pilot in the Navy. So he hadn't been to the beach in like six months. Um, What else do I like to do? I like to go to breweries. I like to – Nice. What's your favorite brewery? And Jack's. um, I like Wicked Barley. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a they're fun a good time. Th- they have a lot of good food and a lot of fun beers. I got like a marshmallow beer there the other night. Yeah. Um, I like to go to St. Augustine. Even though I'm from here, I could go there a million times. It's gotten really popular and crowded, but I still love it. I like to hang out with my dogs. I think I already said that. Um, I just like to be outside. I love to hike. I know that we live in Florida, but right. anytime I can get up to North Carolina and go hiking or go like whitewater rafting, I nice. love doing that. Have you been to the Whitewater Center? I have. Yeah, the place is awesome. It is. Yeah, that's uh every se- every every year we since I found out about it, we've gone. Oh, nice. Have yeah. you actually gone? Whitewater rafting and like in an actual yeah yeah I've done river. I've done that at the uh, Okoye yeah uh, but the reason we go to the Whitewater Center is for their deep water free solo wall oh. they've got that they have a, a forty five foot rock climbing wall over a hundred foot pool and then if you fall you just fall you just into fall the in the pool that's cool like that's the main reason we go there but then they have all that other fun stuff I'm surprised but we don't have something like that in Jacksonville which mm. would be so cool. Be a new business. All right, all right. <laughs> We're getting way, way off track. All right, so if, if there's one uh, uh, final thing that you either want people to know either about you or about Motion RX or about pelvic floor PT in general, you know, what's what would that final word or message be for people listening? I would say don't wait for your OBGYN to refer you. Unfortunately, I don't get a lot of referrals from OBGYNs, I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, you have to be your own advocate, as you know, Dr. Will. So if you feel like something is wrong or you are interested in learning about a different treatment option, don't wait for your physician to refer you. The beauty of social media, I know there's a lot of negatives to social media, but the beauty of social media is there's a lot more information out there for people to realize that people like Dr. Will and I exist. And so call us up um in florida you do not have to have a referral to see a physical therapist at least for the first 30 days so call us up and refer yourself you don't have to wait for that referral from your provider perfect dr jana cornell thank you for joining us it was a pleasure i'm so glad that you took time to you know sit here with me and let people know what a pelvic floor pt is and what you do and how they might be able to help someone out there listening to us uh thank you guys for listening uh this episode should be out uh fairly soon uh please if you're already listening to the podcast uh subscribe and share thank you guys so much thanks